0: i just want to welcome michael up well that was a poor welcome what was that there you go um michael's been part of the pursuit team for quite some time now i don't actually know how long it's been a long time time. part with me for a long time uh he's a real friend uh and he's got a real gifting for teaching so i just really want to encourage you just to really take as much as you can from what he's got to say um yeah First, want to lift up Michael to you, Father. <laughs> we just want to bless him, fill him up as he as he uh, gives out, Father. <laughs> In Jesus' name, Amen. Great, thanks, guys. Hello. So, those of you who don't know, um, I've, as Ben's already said, I'm on the leadership team. I take responsibility for the teaching content and its quality. Uh, normally, I get I'm quite I like to encourage other people to stand up. Um, so, I usually get other people to do the hard work and do the teaching. But um, this is something that I feel quite strongly about, actually, so I really wanted to sort of step in um, and talk a little bit about it. The topic today, um, following on from what we want to do, following on from the theme, is joy, made for joy. Um, There's one thing I'd quite like to do, because I think it's quite misunderstood as a concept. Um, We live in a postmodern world, and one of the sort of central ideas is that there isn't a right or wrong, there isn't an absolute truth, all there is is experience and it can be convenient or an inconvenient experience, but that's all there is to it. And I think we can interpret joy in that same way. There isn't, uh, we live in a fallen world and obviously we're exposed to it as Christians. And I think people sometimes say, well, there isn't a deeper truth beyond joy. Joy is effectively just the experience that you have. So, uh, and the outward manifestations of that experience of joy is all you have. So if I may take an analogy, if we're in school, for example, you may go on to, when you have a little bit of joy, you adopt a begging position, and you like this in church. Then, if you progress a little bit more in joy, then you can kind of adopt the sort of holding the TV position, which is this. And then, if you're really brave, you may go on to do the sort of hula hoop position, which is this, and you're really crazy. <laughs> and if you're really, really joyful, then you might start doing a bit of a dance or something along those lines, do something crazy. What I really wanted to talk about today was saying that that is not true. Yes, there is. Yes, there is an experience of God, and yes, there is uh, that presence, and yes, there is that immediacy. But let's, let's go beyond that transient and temporary idea of what joy is and have a look at what it is and have a look at that permanent and true uh, element that stands behind it. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is that sustaining force that goes behind it. So let us look beyond the experience, let us look beyond the immediate and look to the eternal and look to the truth. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we're going to go on to t- through uh, through tonight. Um, g- g- let's just back up a bit and fit it into the overall theme of of, uh, of the series. The uh, theme for uh, the whole series was taken from the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, w- sorry, I'm a bit out of breath, a bit too much hula hooping. Sorry. Uh, which was effectively asking, uh, what is the, the chief end of man, and the he, the Catechism responds, saying, the chief end of man is to A, glorify God, and B, to enjoy him forever. I really like the sentence structure um, of that. In the Bible, when Jesus was asked a question, sometimes he would respond with two elements. Um, For example, uh, Jesus was asked, what is the key commandment? What is the core commandment? And he turns around and said, well, actually, the, the the most important commandment is to love your God with all your mind, all your heart, and all your soul. And he also then additionally says, adds an addendum to that and saying, you also should love uh, love others as you love yourself. He gives the opportunity to provide two answers where only one was necessary. And I think this sort of catechism picks up on the biblical truth, which is a bit like that. To glorify God and the joy to enjoy him forever are two sides of the same coin. let's go let's let's break that down a bit first part the chief end of man is a to glorify god to glorify god is to express with your lips the goodness of who god is and then in your heart you position your heart and you position yourself in your actions to that truth the idea of enjoying him forever then comes separately as a part of that as we walk in as we walk in step with him and as we say in our hearts jesus is lord there is that joy that comes on us through the holy spirit The eternal truth behind this is obviously God created us, and when he looked down on us in in Genesis, he said that the world was good. At that point, sin had not entered the world. So the whole idea of good was an absolute standard. There wasn't anything, there wasn't any blemish, there wasn't any error in the world. All was good, um, which means that it held to that absolute standard. Sin entered the world, and now we say, well, this is good and that is good. But obviously, when we're talking about good in in a biblical absolute term, we're talking about perfection. When Jesus came to the cross, we are then reconciled to it. Through the atoning blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to that absolute state. And as we position ourselves to the truth of who God is and who we are in God, uh, we position ourselves accordingly, and through that fellowship, uh, we receive uh, joy. So my whole point, I think, through for, for tonight's speech is talking mainly about the idea that when we align our hearts, when we align our minds and we align our spirit to the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are as adopted sons of uh, of the Father, we allow ourselves to experience more of the joy of God. Joy is a free gift, but we can place limitations as to how much joy we can receive. So there is that question, do we want to accept a little bit of joy or do we want to accept a lot of joy? God is, I think, just a summary point, which I forgot to mention earlier. God is in control. God directs our lives, but we have a responsibility not just to be passive, but instead to push through into the truth and lead lives according to that truth. And we experience joy when we turn our hearts to God. Looking at a few other passages, joy is mentioned quite a lot in uh, in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. Turning first to the Old Testament, Joy was very much the ex, uh, corporate and the individual expression um, of the national and religious life of Israel. Um, in particular, it was in relation to both who they were as people, so their identity, and also to their destiny, uh, as to what God had called them to do. So a few examples dotted, I find, is in Deuteronomy, um, it calls for joy when you sacrifice. This is obviously the old sacrificial system that they had. Uh, and there was a joy when they pushed that because that pushed them closer to God and, and the redeeming factor. Um, 1 Samuel 18.6, um, there's a defeat of Israel against Pal- uh, the Philistines. Uh, and that was a corporate expression of the joy of God and, and the destiny that uh, the Israel um, people of Israel had. 1 Kings 1.39, Similarly, is uh, an expression of joy when Solomon was crowned. And again, that comes back to the national and the religious uh, experience and, and identity of, uh, of Israel. In the New Testament, the difference is, of course, post-cross is that we have access. We have full access of joy through the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. There's a lot of different expressions within joy. Joy, for example, is, say, when Jesus is born. Um, there's a lot of other different expressions at, at key points. And Jesus himself, I think, in the Gospel of John, experienced joy himself when he was uh, in, in uh, communion with the Father. The one thing I really probably wanted to pick up on was a passage in Galatians, and it talks about spiritual, uh, spiritual fruit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we read that in Galatians 5:22. It's freely given by the Spirit, but uh, the fact that it is a fruit it means it can be interrupted by sin. The believer is told to share in the joy of Christ by a daily walk with him and the daily practice of rejoicing in the knowledge of him and his salvation. We position ourselves accordingly. We don't take what is happening uh, on a day-to-day basis. We don't take the bad things that are happening, but we position ourselves with our, our eternal purpose and our eternal identity. It is to say with our Father, with a heart of gratitude, and say, Lord, your grace is enough. That's who we are, and that's who we have to step into. Uh, I think probably one thing as well I uh, wanted to mention was I think the difficulty is sometimes, I think, again, with our sort of late modern and postmodern minds is that materialism can sometimes creep into the gospel. Um, We sometimes have an idea that... We preach and we pray to God and we want things to happen. I think the, the truth of that is that God gives us what he needs. He doesn't necessarily give us what he wants, uh, but he does want us, our hearts to, uh, to align with his. To experience a depth of joy um, that is read about in, in the Bible, we have to align our concerns and submit, to, submit them to the lordship, uh, to this, uh, lordship of Christ. One of the most exciting things about joy is going back to the idea is that it is a sustaining force that goes uh, that brings us uh, brings us in and uh, puts us through our, our most difficult uh, our difficulties. I was researching it and I was quite shocked to find that just looking into Paul's epistles, um, in my own research, I found eight references to joy in Paul's epistles, and four of them were relating to uh, to situations of sorrow that he was in. But instead of actually looking into his sorrow. He he explained he explained the joy of God, uh, who he was uh, uh, and who he was. And actually, in the book of James, obviously not written by Paul, but the book of James, it actually says, consider it pure joy if you're met with uh, with trials, that they produce a maturing of your faith, um, etc., uh, and it goes up to and where you're a state uh, where you're more Christ-like. So. Joy is a sustaining force. Uh, It is who we are. It's our eternal identity, and it it explains not just who we are now in a transient way, but who we are in identity now in our lives with Christ and also when we die and go to heaven. It's also a command. Uh, Paul writes in his letters that we are to be joyful always uh, and rejoice in the Lord without any qualification or allowance of what the situation that we're in uh, or... um, how emotionally unstable we are, or how we feel on that, on that particular day. So, in our response, we need to move beyond the emotional uh, idea of joy, the postmodern emotional response, and moving forward to a, a true uh, and eternal response. One of the key people I uh, researched when I was looking into this was the life of David. In many ways, David was a forerunner to Jesus. Um, he was born, obviously, Jesus was born uh, of David's line. David was a king, and obviously we explain that later on in life, that uh, Jesus is our king. Um, and uh, David felt betrayed by those who were closest to him. And we read a lot about David in 1 and 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, and, and many Psalms, uh, many of which talk about joy, uh, were written by David as well. I think the most encouraging thing for me in the, in the life of David is that he wasn't perfect. Um, he had extended periods of moral and spiritual ebb. Um, he had a lot of failings. Uh, but he was was credited as having the heart of God. He was able to go to God after doing this with a repentant heart and align himself to him and experience the full joy of God. So the key point is that you don't need to be perfect, but God looks at the heart, he looks at your response, and he actually delights in those who repent uh, and and go to him. So just a bit of an overview of of David. Of course, we know that uh, he was anointed king while Saul was still on the throne. Um, He defeated Goliath, and I'm sure everyone knows about that one. Um, Saul became jealous of David, uh, and many attempts were made on his life. Um, David was on the run, he uh, found a lot, he was in isolation quite a lot of his life, living in caves, um, experienced the betrayal of Saul and people he had saved. Um, he was in a particularly low point of his life where he joined the Philistines, um, who were a former en- enemy and the army which uh, Goliath came from. He had the affair with Beth who was the wife of Uriah, killed Uriah, um, then found the discipline of a lord when his first son died. Um, David's son Amnon uh, raped his, uh, Amnon's half-sister, so Tamar was the daughter of, of David. Absalom, another son of David, killed uh, uh, Amnon in, in, venge- in vengeance. Absalom then usurped King's, uh, David's throne while he was in, in there, and David was forced to wage war against his own son. In all those circumstances, we realize the moral and the spiritual failings of this one person, but he was a person who was able to come up to it and say, Lord, this is my heart, this is what I've done, Um, forgive me, and there he experienced the joy afterwards. Actually, after his first son died, I think the immediate thing he did, did was come back to him and worship, say, this is my situation here, this is what I experience, but I know the truth of who you are, Lord, and I accept that truth over what I'm experiencing just like to, um, if you've got a Bible, perhaps you turn to Psalm 16, please, just uh, summarize. Summarize a key point. Psalm 16 is um, like a, probably about half of the Psalms. It's, it's about um, the Lord being a refuge. He Obviously, he experienced a time where he had to run away. He was fearful for his life for a lot, and actually he wrote a lot from that place. Um, we just go to the, the last bit, and just let the, wa- the words wash over us. As it says, You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <coughs> Excuse me. So it t- talks about allowing ourselves to come into the presence of God. New Testament, obviously, we approach the throne of God. We already have the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, and from that experience, from that encounter, we experience uh, the truth that is already uh, that is already in the background. There is a fullness of joy uh, that comes. And fullness isn't obviously just partially filled. It is totally filled. It's an absolute standard. So what does this mean for us, I think? Obviously, David was in the Old Testament. We're now, post-cross, we're now living in a new covenant, the covenant of grace. We take, well, I think what it means for us really as Christians is that we take identity in the victory of Jesus at the cross, uh, at the victory of Jesus' re- resurrection. David was a king um, with a heart for God, but Jesus was the perfect king. He came to life, he came here, he didn't sin, um, he fulfilled the wrath of God, and he stood in our place, and we receive that legal standing uh, from God as, as, perfect, uh, as perfect sons. God poured out his very self wi- in us through the Holy Spirit that we may experience his joy. We therefore don't take hope, in a, uh, we don't take uh, false hope in the promises of this world, but we hold on to what is true uh, and who God is for us and what Jesus has done for us. So I think really in, in the case for us as Christians, the sort of so what, as it were, is that the key message is, as we align ourselves and as uh, we glorify God and as we engage in spiritual disciplines and as we walk within him, the natural result is us f- for us to feel this joy. So I would just encourage all, all those here, don't take hold in the fact that joy is an experience, but joy is an eternal truth, uh, and we can choose whether to plug o- uh, how much of it we, we can receive. So just, just to, to summarize, I just wish to pray for a few people. I get a sense that I think there's probably two types of people here. There's some people who take it on the chin and think that, I think because of what they've done in the past, sometimes they may feel they've been disqualified and actually saying that I can't actually accept that and I can't accept the fullness of joy because of what I've done. Um, So I'd like to take an opportunity to pray for those people and actually uh, allow them to step into that fullness again. Um, and I think second of all, as well, people are just generally being in a spiritual air. But I just really wanted to take an opportunity to pray for those sort of people as well. So I'm just going to pray generally, um, perhaps for the worship ground, if you want to play some sort of soft music in the background as well. Um, just pray generally, and obviously if there's anyone else, uh, the leadership team, we can pray for you as well. So we just pray briefly, j- Jaws. Lord, just thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your victory. Um, thank you for who we are in you, Lord, as adopted sons and daughters of the King. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your joy. Uh, Lord, it is not something that's just transient or temporary. Lord, there is, it is there for us to take. Um, and as we step into you, Lord, we can experience more, uh, more of that joy um, and more of you as here we are. So, Lord, I just pray hearts will be opened and uh, minds will be opened as to as the enormity and the fullness of joy that is available and stockpiled in heaven for us, Lord. I just pray that there is a, a, a shift, uh, there's a gear shift spiritually for those here. And uh, I just pray for that, uh, that, full, um, that full experience and that full truth uh, to filter through uh, to those here. Amen.